In uh, 1914, a young, relatively unknown poet named Robert Frost published a poem that helped launch his reputation. It was called The Mending Wall. And it began, Something there is that doesn't love a wall that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders into the sun and makes gaps that even two can pass abreast. The poem is about two neighbors, uh, New England farmers, who meet every spring to repair the stone wall that marks their property. It mulls over the meaning of walls and boundaries and asks its readers if it's true that good fences make good neighbors. As we listen to the book of Acts over the Easter season, we should be asking ourselves the same question. St. Luke was. One of the major themes of Acts, his second gospel, was the incorporation of the Gentiles into the church. This was an unexpected development and one not entirely welcomed by everyone. We've become used to the church as a global cross-cultural communion of believers. It probably doesn't occur to us to ask why there might have been reluctance to welcome Gentiles. The answer begins with Israel's own self-understanding of her privileged place in the divine economy. Israel was chosen by God to be a people uniquely his own, a holy people set apart from the rest of the world. The Torah's dietary regulations and the laws about associating with Gentiles, eating with them, or entering their homes were meant to preserve cultural and religious boundaries between Jews and Gentiles. So when non-Jews began knocking on the door of the church seeking baptism, it would not have been surprising if anyone had asked why. Why would the chosen people share their God with the Gentiles? An English king asked himself the same question, convinced that God, the God he worshipped was British. The king in question was George III, who allegedly said, I will not share my God with the Irish. Let them find something of their own. The symbol of all of this was a wall, not just any wall. This one happened to be found in Jerusalem, in the one place that was the focus of Israel's identity as a chosen people, the defining symbol of Jewish faith, the temple. At the center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, where God was enthroned above the cherubim. Radiating out, radiating out from there was the court of the priests, where the sacrifices were offered, then the court of Israel, followed by the court of the women. Furthest away from the holy place was the court of the Gentiles. This was where non-Jews were permitted to enter either out of piety or curiosity. But Gentiles were strictly forbidden beyond this court under pain of death. And to make this perfectly clear, there was a wall five feet tall blocking access to the rest of the temple. And on that wall, written in Greek, was the inscription, Let no foreigner enter within the partition which surrounds the temple precincts. Anyone caught violating will be responsible for his own death. We know about this because Josephus mentions it in his Antiquities, and also because in 1871, some archaeologists sorting through a pile of stones and rubbish on the Temple Mount actually found the inscription. In the book of Acts, St. Luke is telling us that something there is that 
does not quite love a wall, that the barricades between Jew and Gentile have been abolished in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And among those stepping over the threshold are a group of Samaritans in today's first reading. Moved by the preaching of Philip, they come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and accept baptism. It's hard to know how the church in Jerusalem reacted when they heard that Samaritans were accepting the faith. The enmity between Jews and Samaritans was so deep that in his gospel, St. John felt compelled to comment on it in chapter 4, where Jesus, tired and thirsty, asks a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. Her petulant reply, how can you, a Jew, ask a Samaritan and a woman for a drink, forces John to explain that there is little love lost between Jews and Samaritans. I said it's hard to know how the leaders of the church in Jerusalem reacted with to these outcasts seeking baptism, but jaws certainly must have dropped. And if they searched the scriptures, because they knew them well, for an answer to this, they would have found it in Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. But wait, there's more. And let not the eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. So when next we meet Philip later on in the same chapter of of Acts 8, he will baptize an Ethiopian eunuch who comes to faith in Israel's Messiah too. Here we have two classes of people forever excluded from the temple who now have a place within the new covenant made in the blood of Christ. God has extended the promise of salvation beyond Israel to the whole human race. Among the Gentiles who came pouring into the church in the centuries that followed were our ancestors, the Greek world, German tribesmen, Slavs, the peoples of Africa, Latin America, and Asia, and yes, with apologies to King George III, my Irish ancestors. The church is called Catholic because it embraces everyone and offers all a place at the banquet of the Lamb. In his later years, Frost said that the mending wall was spoiled by being applied. He meant that it had been used politically during the Cold War. But the poem insists that there are other ways to talk about walls other than physical barriers. The gift of the Holy Spirit that we will celebrate on Pentecost um, within a week or ten days brings into existence a new people whose identity and life are rooted in the risen Christ. It's not just another way of being human. It's a completely new way of being human that means living, living beyond the barricades.